I, I want to thank you all for being here. Last night, I must confess to you, I came to church, and if I wasn't the pastor, I don't know if I would have been there. It was just, you know, one of those days. And I think it had everything to do with what I was studying during the week. I just, I don't want to say it was an attack. I just want to say that I just got the blahs. And by the time the service was over, I was so excited and so passionate about my love for the Lord. I told the people last night, I'm going to brag on you to the people Sunday because you really made me understand what it is to really love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, all my strength. And, and it was just a, one of those times in the church that the, the, the family of God just picked me up and it made me understand and, and saved with such sincerity how much I love you. It, because it, it, it was a sense, it had been a long time since I felt this way, but it was like a sense that the body of Christ just lifted me up and just, just loved me. And, and, and it, that is why I think it's so important that we gather together and it's so important that we truly love one another as best we know how, just to experience our love of Christ with one another. I, I want to tell you, coming into this message, how much I love you. Um, this is a tough message only because we've come to a church that is, uh, is the church of Laodicea. Would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of uh, Revelation? And would you turn with me to the third chapter? And we're going to take a look at verses 14 to 22. And we're going to break this up into two parts. Let me tell you why. Next week we are going to have, if you'll come and bring some friends, that would be a great time to bring uh, some of your friends that perhaps don't normally come to church. We're going to have an opportunity next week to really see what does it mean to understand and know and to love the Lord. It's, a, it's going to be fairly evangelistic. It's going to, we're going to give, I believe, you an opportunity to rededicate your life back to Christ. If not today, then next week. And, and we're also going to give those that don't know Jesus Christ an opportunity to be confronted with who He is in such a an amazing basis that is found here with Scripture. We will also going to have communion next week and uh, just be a, a special time for the church family. And so what we are is we've moved now into the church called Laodicea. This is the seventh of the seven churches. We've now taken our time and we've visited with all seven churches. Well, six. We are going to now look at the seventh. We've seen two of them, Smyrna and Philadelphia. They had no rebuke from the Lord. They were really fine. In fact, I said to you last week, I feel very comfortably in saying this, that I think we're a lot like the church at, at, at Philadelphia. By that I mean, well, look with me back in, in chapter 3. Look back with me and, and let's remember or kind of remind ourselves what made them special, the church of Philadelphia. Look at verse 8. The Lord says, I know your deeds. Now over and over again, he said to every church, I know, I know, I know. I know what you're doing. Uh, we cannot hide from him. And so he says, I know your deeds. Behold, he says, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power. And here's what made them special. And here's what I believe with all of my heart we are like in, in some small way, maybe in a major way. He says in verse 8, you've kept my word and you have not denied my name. That's what we're all about. This church, if you're visiting with us, that's all that we are about. 
honoring and, and trying to understand the Word of God as we study through it line upon line, word upon word. We don't duck or hide, as everyone here knows. We, we study each word that we can. and We try to find out what it is that the Lord is saying to us. We honor His Word. It's what we stand upon here. It's, it's, it's the most critical thing to our church. And then, of course, we honor the name of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see why today, because today, as he confronts this church, the church at Laodicea, they have done none of that. They, they became self-righteous. He said, I wish that you were hot, or I even wish that you were cold. But, but for goodness sakes, you're lukewarm. And because of that, he says, I, I want to spit you or vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, you're making me sick. And they felt that they were, they had it all together. Listen, it's, this church, the church at Laodicea, is not a lot unlike the United States of America. Feeling that we have all the wealth that we need, really, do we? Feeling that we have all the power that we need, really, do we? And feeling we are lacking in nothing, really, are we? And the Lord looks at them and He says, No, on the contrary, you have nothing. You, you are wretched. You're miserable, he says. Look at, look, look at verse, um, verse 17. You say, I'm rich. You say, you've, you've become wealthy. You say, you have need of nothing. Don't you know, he says, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. You see, I think that this study through these seven churches is going to be Amazing in your life and my life and the life of this church. Because it will give us an understanding of what we want to be like. What of these seven churches do we want to take and incorporate into our lives and be like? And, and, and what of these seven churches that, that we see going on in their lives that we don't want anything to do with? It, it all started with the church at Ephesus in chapter 2 and verse 4 when, when, when our Lord said, This I have against you. You have left... Do you remember what it was? Your first love. And that's where we are now at Laodicea. They become indifferent to the things of God. Oh, oh, they think they're rich. Oh, they think they're powerful. They think they're, they're in need of nothing when in fact the Lord says that's, that is anything but the truth. And this is a message to any and every church that has opens its doors to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through His Word and have slowly but surely drifted away from the love of God, the love of His Word, the love of His Son, lost the passion. And that's why last night was really critical for me in my life. Last night meant more to me than the people will ever know on Saturday night that came to church. They encouraged me beyond the wildest dreams. Well, Laodicea, unlike the Church of Philadelphia, received no word of encouragement from God. They became ultimately the worst of the seven. And that downward spiral that began at Ephesus and went through Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis has now finally hit bottom at Laodicea. 
Let me read to you, please. Read along with me from verses 14 to 22 and see what our Lord has to say to this church. Verse 14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. You do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you, buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich. And Buy from me white garments that you may clothe yourself that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and an eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, he says in verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him, and I will dine with him and he with me. To the one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, and I also, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. And as the Lord said to every single church, he says to those who have an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, please open up our eyes and our hearts, our minds and our thoughts, let us hear, Father, from what you have to say so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Teach us, Father, as only you can. Father, I want to pray for Mike and, and Linda Reed. I want to thank you, Father, for the legacy that they will leave here. I want to thank you for the privilege of having them a part of our church for the season that you have allowed us to have them here. And now, Father, as they go to Paris, Texas, would you watch over and bless them? And Father, yes, would you bless the church that they will be attending? I look forward to writing a letter, if not calling the pastor and saying what a blessing he has coming his way to tell him of, of Linda and Mike and how they have blessed this church, and that they will be, if he so desires, a blessing in their church as well. And now, Father, I ask what I would ask every week, and that is that you would move me aside. Allow me not to get in the way of this message. Allow me, Father, not to stand so that people might see me, but rather see and hear from you. I learned a good lesson from a good brother that I love very much this morning about that. Let me not get in the way of what you would say or do. And so I pray you'd move me aside. Now, Father, bless this time that we have together. Bless the Gravit family, their little sweet daughter, both of their daughters. Bless the family that is with them. Watch over each of us, Father, as only you can. Care for us, Father. I pray you'll bless us so much. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, let's take a look. Just... 
just a little reflection. Last week we learned a, a great lesson. And that was this about the Church of Philadelphia. And that is God desires faithfulness. He, he, he desires our obedience. And if we will do that, he says, the reward that comes our way will be great. Now we, we kind of went over a, a little prefix of the word E-K talking about uh, the words keep us from. Look back at verse 10 again in chapter 3. As it says, because you've kept my word, I will also keep you from the hour of testing. I will keep you from that hour which is about to come upon this whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. And we, we learned last week that the words keep you from means to keep you outside of the test, not keep you within the middle of it. And therefore, I, I believe that scriptures, we can stand on that, that scriptures would teach that the rapture of the church will come before the tribulation. But I want you to know there are very good and, and very intelligent people on all sides of this issue. There are those that, that can argue and believe that, that, that the church will go through a, a, a portion of, of the tribulation and at the midpoint will then be raptured, called mid-tribbers. And also there are very intelligent people on the other end of that spectrum that believe that the church will go through the whole tribulation, will be kept during the process of that, and we will be raptured after the tribulation, post-trib people. Now I told you last week, I'm a pre-tribber. I believe we're going before. Unless we start to go through it, then I'm switching real quickly to mid-tribber. <laughs> and, and then if we pass the midpoint and it looks like we're going through this whole thing, I'll become a post-tribber and I will carry the band. No. I, I just believe we will, go, we will not go through that. I, I believe that. But that's not the issue today. Today we come upon this church called Laodicea that they are sadly described by our Lord as lukewarm. That means really they're indifferent to the things of God. They've lost their passion, their love of Christ. And I want to I speak to you and me about that this morning. Where are you and where are we on the spectrum? It's not that difficult to, to become just blasé about our faith. I, I walked into this, it's amazing, I walked into this place last night sensing that feeling. Jesus lets us know clearly that our love for him ought to run hot every single day. As he says in verses 15 and 16, look, I, I know your deeds, he says. I, I know you're neither cold nor hot. I, I wish, he said, that you were one or the other, cold or hot. But no, you're lukewarm, he says. Because of that, I will spit you out of my mouth. It, it's, a, it's a statement of, of, of disgust of how they're walking in their faith, or lack of faith. But let's see how our Lord describes himself first, because it's key to understand this. He says he's three things. The amen, the faithful and true witness, and the, the I am who is the beginning of the creation of God. This is critical to understand what these three introductions of him mean. First and foremost, he describes himself as the Amen. He does not describe himself in that fashion anywhere else, just here. What is he saying to them? Well, the closest we can come to understanding that is what he says in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16. 
Twice it is said that he is the God of truth. The word truth there translates to mean amen or so be it. Amen is a transliteration of the Hebrew word truth, affirmation, or certainty, or so be it. Oftentimes you end a prayer, amen, or so be it. It refers to that which is firm, fixed, unchangeable. It is often used, as I just said in Scripture, to affirm the truthfulness of a statement. Amen. So be it. So the inference here is clear. First and foremost, he introduces himself as the Amen. In other words, whatever is said here is true and certain. You can count on it. In fact, would you please hold your place here and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, 2 Corinthians is not too far to the left. You're going to go past uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and 1st and 2nd Peter, and James, and Hebrews. And then you'll go to uh, Colossians, Philippians, uh, is it the Ephesians, and Galatians, and then 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, there is a 1st Corinthians, so don't go there. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to Paul's words. He says it all concerning this one who is our Amen. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. In other words, in Him they are true. Therefore, also through Him is our amen, or so be it, to the glory of God through us. Let me read that again without any commentary. For as many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. And so we see first and foremost, Jesus introduces himself like he's never done before. He says, I am the great amen. I am the so be it. I am the truth, the certainty. You can count on what I'm saying. Then, after saying he is the Amen, he identifies himself as the faithful and true witness. I think a little while ago I said true and faithful. It is faithful and true witness. Because everything he speaks is truth, therefore he is completely trustworthy. He is perfectly accurate in what he has to say, and his testimony or his witness is always reliable. We can count on it. That is an interesting that's an interesting statement. What is his witness? What is his testimony? Well, there's a place in scripture that, that absolutely changed my life some thirty some years ago. It's in first John chapter five. Would you please turn with me to the left? Don't have to go about oh four or five, six pages to first John. Look at chapter five, please. There is a second and there is a third John. We want 1 John chapter 5. I want you to hear what John has to say concerning Jesus Christ. It says in verse 9, 1 John chapter 5, verse 9, If we receive the testimony or the witness of men, the testimony or the witness of God is greater. In other words, if man is saying something, that's fine. But when God says it, it is so be it. That's the witness of God here. Listen to what it says. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony or the witness of God is this. Uh-oh, this is going to be important. 
It is that he has testified concerning his Son. He says in verse 10, the person who believes in the Son of God has the testimony or the witness in themselves. The one who does not believe God has made God a liar. Why? Well, because he has not believed the testimony or the witness that God has given concerning his Son. He is the faithful and true witness. And he is giving testimony or witness to who his Son is. And so in my life, way back when, before I became a believer, someone asked me, the whole issue about Jesus Christ. Are you a Christian? I thought I was. I was born in the United States of America. I, 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 my mother and father, I believed, were, were Christian. We didn't go to church, but that didn't matter. We, we were Christians. And so I was asked, then where's Jesus Christ in your life? And I thought, wow, why is that so important? Where is he in my life? He's in my church, I believe. And he guided me to this place in Scripture. It says, the one who does not believe God has made God a liar because he doesn't believe the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And verse 11 says, the testimony or the witness is this. God has given eternal life. It's in his Son, Jesus Christ. Then he says, and he or she who has the Son of God has life. And the one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That spun me on my heel. I don't know why, I don't know how. All I know is it changed my life. Because it dawned on me that I did not know where Jesus Christ was in my life. After I asked the person, why is that so important? I mean, how, why do you have to know where Jesus is in your life? I don't know if I'm a Christian. Who knows if they're a Christian? He said, let me ask you a question. Do you know if you're a baseball player? Do you know that you play for the Hawaii Islanders? Now, I did. I played for the Hawaii Islanders up to that time a couple of years. I knew that for sure. I said, of course I played for the Hawaii Islanders. I'm a star. No, no I, didn't say, I didn't say that. I did not say that. I thought I'd make a joke. Mickey stopped me. Anyways, I said, of course I play baseball for Islanders. And, and he said, do you think it's a little bit more important that you would know that you're a baseball player rather than knowing where your eternal life is? I mean, uh, let's weigh these two. And I said, how can anyone know? I think he set me up for verse 13, to be honest with you. He says, these things, John writes, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you might know. That means know right now that you have, have right now eternal life. And so he is, Jesus, the great amen, so be it, truth. And he is a witness, a true and faithful witness to that truth that, that life is all wrapped up in him. You see, he's, it's almost like he's taking this church at Laodicea and he's kind of grabbing them by the shoulders and shaking them and say, wake up, wake up. I am the great amen and I am faithful and true witness. Then he says, on top of all of that, he says, I also, I am the beginning of the creation of God. Now, so that there would be no confusion about what Jesus Christ said, he uses the word for beginning in the Greek as A-R-C-H-E. It translates not to mean that he was the first person created by God, but rather it translates to mean that Jesus Christ himself is the source. He is the very origin of all creation. Without him, nothing is. 
In the book of Revelation, the 22nd chapter, the 13th verse, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. But, but beyond that, he says in John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, great, great, great place in Scripture. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? was God. Fourteen verses later it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things that came into being through Him, all things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing that had come into being has come into being. In other words, Jesus Christ, by saying, I am the beginning of the creation of God, says, I've created all this, Laodicea. Everything that you see, all that you've staked your life upon, I've made for you. In fact, I've even made you. Book of Hebrews, the first chapter, the second verse says, In these days, talking about the days that we are now living in, the church age, God has spoken to us in His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also... He has made the world. Jesus Christ has made this earth on which we live. He's created it all. That's exactly who it is that we're dealing with here. The Amen. The faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. So we best listen carefully. Now let's talk about Laodicea just a bit. Laodicea was located about 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia. They were real close to Philadelphia. But they were an amazing city. They were fortified on all sides by a great mountain ranges. They were protected beyond the, the, the most, they were protected beyond protection. And they were extremely wealthy as a, as a country or a city or a town, whatever. And some would say, I would, they, were, they became too self sufficient. They were on the main road to Rome, and, and you had to go through Laodicea. And so Laodicea soon became the center of the banking, banking industry of that area. They had more money than they knew what to do with. They also were a, a place that, that had universities that you could go to and learn. They, they started medical centers and planted medical centers in other places so that when people got sick, they could go and, and get well through medicine. In fact, they discovered that the clay around the city of Laodicea, Laodicea was so rich that they, they made medicine for their eyes and for their ears. In fact, it was Aristotle who exclaimed that through the city of Laodicea there was a powerful ointment made for the ears and their eyes. In, in, 19, in the year 60 A.D., a great earthquake hit Laodicea and just leveled it. Absolutely leveled it. But immediately, they gathered together as a group of people and they rebuilt their city. They used their own funds. They used their own hands. They used their own intelligence, their own abilities. They rebuilt Laodicea. And with all of this self-sufficiency, their their power, their wealth, their intelligence, their ingenuity to do what they did, 
they became self-sufficient to the max and they failed to see that it was God who was doing all of this for them. Kind of like the United States of America. We've gotten to a place where we've, we've practically rejected God. Oh, I know there's a lot of so-called Christians that, that, that number in, in this, this great nation of ours, but how many of them really, really are truly believers in Jesus Christ and love Him with all their heart and soul and strength? So Jesus comes to them and tells them the truth, what it's like really for them without Him. Read again with me verses 17 and 18. Jesus says to them, Because you say, I am rich. Because you say, I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. He looks them smack in the eye and he says, You do not know that you are, watch now, you're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're, you're naked. You're blind. Yeah, even with your powerful eye ointments, you were blind as a bat. And so he says in verse 18, I advise you to buy from me gold that has been refined by fire so that you might really become rich. I added the word really. And white garments so that you might clothe yourself so that the shame of your nakedness would not be revealed in an eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you really can see. See what? See that you're naked. See that you're wretched. See that you're miserable, poor, blind, lost without me. People, that message ought to ring loud and clear within all of us who believe that we have it all together and all of a sudden see our need for Jesus Christ become diminished. To walk that way on this earth, we are dead wrong. Because Jesus says without Him, you and I have absolutely nothing. On the contrary. He says we're wretched, we're miserable, we're poor, we're naked, we're blind, we're lost. I took a couple of verses talking about nothing. One, John the Baptist says in John chapter 3, verse 27, he says a man can receive nothing, absolutely nothing, unless it has been given to him from above. Paul confesses in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. He says the willing is present. I want to do it. But the doing of good, not so much. And Paul said again in Galatians chapter 6 verse 3, If anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he has deceived himself. And Paul reminds T Timothy when Timothy was going to take over the church at, at Ephesus and just a young man, Paul looked at Timothy and says, Timothy, we've brought nothing into this world. We cannot take anything out of it either. You see, there is absolutely no hope without Jesus Christ, folks. None. But this message goes beyond that. It talks about anyone of us who have grown weary walking with our Lord. Say circumstances, say trials, say time. It's kind of just beaten at you. And you, you find that you're growing lukewarm concerning the things of God. You're becoming indifferent to church and 
and the whole attitude of church. Jesus says in verse 16, repent. Repent, because to be indifferent says, I will, I will spit you out of my mouth. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're lukewarm. You make me sick. People, there's absolutely nothing worse on the face of this earth to God, in my opinion, than nominal, carnal Christians who just, just go by ho-humming this day and the next Go to church. I might show up, maybe not. I might live for the Lord this week, but you know, I've got a lot going on. The Bible says, what does it profit you and me? What does it profit us? If we were to gain this whole world and yet lose our soul, forfeit our souls. We ought to make every day an adventure, walking proudly with our Lord, I wrote down some notes for me and for you, but I said, tell me. I just want you to think. You can close your Bibles right now. We'll, we'll really get into the salvation part next week. Tell me, what, what's more important to you right now, today, than to walk passionately with the Lord? What, what is it that is, is more critical to you? I mean, have you really thought it through? What have you given for your faith? What have you given for eternal life? If you and I were to die today, we would go, if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ, we would go into the very presence of God Almighty. We would be walking, they say, on streets of gold, whatever that means. What would you give? What's more important to you today than that understanding of who Christ is to you and in your life? What in the world is it that you and I can do if we don't have this passion? What can we do to make us walk more passionately, passionately with Him and with a greater purpose? For me, I found it out last night as clear as a, a bell, I guess you'd say. It's you. It's what I've been telling you all along. I love you. I, I get it more today than I did yesterday. The people on Saturday night taught me. They picked me up out of my doldrums. And when I walked out of that door last night to go home, I was on fire. What drives me is you. The ministry that God has given me. The passion that that I have to love you and to see you grow and, and, and to see a family like this, uh, just a beautiful family. She can't, you can't take your eyes off your little daughter. She's fine. She's going to be fine. <laughs> but what drives me is the passion of this family. If God were to give me time to grow, to be here long enough to see her grow and, 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 and see her come to Christ and, and then marry her off. Oh my gosh, marry her off. In a few weeks, I'm going to marry off, marry off Ashley and, and Deacon. I can't wait. Because I've watched her grow. And the love I have for this family of ours here, it drives me to passion. And so I wrote down myself as I write to you, for God's sake, 
Don't allow our lives to become so blasé, so indifferent, so lukewarm that our Lord will have to spit us out of his mouth. And we make him sick. Let's passionately live for him. Let's love him. Find something in your life that drives you closer to him with each and every passing day. Father, I don't know what that is in everyone's life here. I, I now know exactly. I knew it, but now I know it. I mean, I know it. It's this church. It's these people. It's the study of your word. Thank you, Father, for the passion that you have placed in my heart. And that doesn't come from myself. It comes from the family of God. Father, I want to ask your blessings upon us all. For the Gravit family, Father, bless that sweet daughter of theirs and their other daughter, Kaylee, as well. Watch over them. Let them see their daughters grow to know and to love you. And Father, may we be a, a church that helps in any and every way that we can in the lives of our, our young people. For those of us who are older, may we have that great, great privilege of helping to see young people walk with Christ, become mature in their faith. Now, Lord, bless us as we go from here, wherever it is you take us. May we walk passionately with you, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all more than life itself, and I thank you for the privilege of being in this church with you at this time. I love it. Thank you.